page fright is recorded on the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. These territories were stolen, and they are now the space where I inhabit and live. Um, but the guests you're hearing on this podcast often come from different territories across what is now known as Canada. I encourage our guests, and I encourage you as well listening at home, to take a moment to consider the territory you're on, its history, and how you might have come to belong here. Welcome back to Page Fright. My name is Andrew French. I'm on Instagram at Andrew W. French. And this, of course, is Page Fright. It is the only podcast in the world that I host. It is a Canadian poetry podcast. I talk to Canadian poets primarily. And uh, today is no exception. It is a Canadian poet who is today's guest, one that I'm thrilled to tell you a little bit about. Um, But first, Quick apology for taking so long as usual, it seems, to put out another episode of Page Fright. Things have been busy, but as we approach the end of term, things are freeing up a little bit, and I've had time to return to reading, had time to return to writing, and had time to return to this show. Uh, Today's guest has waited a while now to hear their voice come through the Page Fright podcast since we recorded our interview. Um, It has been about a month, and uh, I apologize for that, Chris. Um, As you can tell from the title of the episode, Chris Johnson is today's guest. So to tell you a little bit about Chris, Chris Johnson is a bi-settler poet from Scarborough, Ontario, currently living on unceded, unsurrendered territory of the Anishinaabe Algonquin Nation. He is the managing editor for ARC Poetry Magazine, a board member for the Ottawa Arts Council, and a member of the creative collective Seven in Roman numerals. Here I am chatting with Chris Johnson. Okay, another episode of Page Right, and with a guest, I'm really excited to talk about uh, or talk to. Uh, Chris Johnson is here. Chris, how's it going? It's going well. Um... I'm glad that you don't want to talk about me. I think it'll be more interesting to talk with me, or maybe it would just be more interesting to talk about me. I I, I don't know. This is getting out of hand. You know what, though? I think we're going to do both today in, in reality, <laughs> because we're we're here to talk not just about, you know, writing in general, but your writing specifically and your new chapbook, Perfect Transition, 320 lines of poetry, counting blank lines. Is that with Anne Struther? I'm super excited to talk about this chat book um, and a bunch of chat books, and we can talk about them. There's there's so many uh, that you've written that I'm excited to chat about. Um, but before we jump into that wonderful world, I'm wondering if I could get you to share a reading with us. Right. Sure. I'll start with a poem from the chat book, the new chat book. It blatantly rips off. John Newlove and a little bit of Lucinda Williams. Um, It's 18 lines, counting blank lines. This is driving. How lonely and lovely. Car wheels on an Ontario highway and the hills ahead shrouded in clouds. Rain falls en route with views of rocks, constant creeks, trees. Home is a cold, beer and warm fire, a familiar smile that asks, how is the drive? Love it. Super short, simple poem to start us off. I love it. Um, yeah, this is actually one of the ones that I really liked from the chapbook. I, I really enjoyed obviously reading the whole chapbook, but this is a poem that I had flagged um, just because I love the cozy kind of image that you get from such a short piece. It's hard often to create it's okay. It's it's easy to give an image in a short poem. I think we can agree on. Like mm. in general, there are so many images poems that are like two lines, right? We think of Ezra Pound and all that stuff. Um, yeah. But it's hard to convey an emotion within a shorter piece too. And, and I think that's done here and it's done really well. So that's awesome. Um, 
I am super stoked to talk to you, Chris, because I asked for a copy of the chapbook. I got a copy of the chapbook. And I also got a bunch of other goodies from you. And uh, in this package, right, there were a bunch of chapbooks. And I had no idea that you'd published so many. Uh, so I was excited to read through a few of them. And I want to ask you about chapbooks today. So why chapbooks? What draws you to this form? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just a, for the little bit of context. And because of the parasocial relationship I've had with you and listening to this <laughs> podcast for so long, uh, when I was interested in talking to you for this new chapbook, I, I thought, well, why don't, why don't I just send Andrew like everything that I've ever published, regardless <laughs> of whether or not you had, you hadn't explicitly said that you were interested in reading everything I've ever written, but I don't know. I, I, I guess I was feeling either generous or um, sadistic uh, <laughs> at that moment. Um, I, I, so I love the chapbook format. I think it's, like the perfect unit uh, for poetry. Um, other people have said that. I was re-listening to a few episodes in preparation for talking with you, and you talked with Kanye Clayton, my friend Kanye Clayton, about chapbooks uh, when she had just put out her first collection. Uh, and I think in that conversation, uh, Kanye also said, like, the, the unit of measurement of a chapbook is just, like, so perfect for like not too long of a project but long enough that uh it can have its own trajectory and its own conclusion so plus i think it was like the first thing that i engaged with really deeply in in publishing and there's something always you know how like your favorite band uh your favorite album by your favorite band is usually the first album that you heard by them uh, right. I think I think it's kind of like that, you know, like I first really fell in love with a chapbook of poetry and then and then I read more actual books of poetry and I've loved lots of books, full length books. But there's something about the chapbook that just like feels so perfect about it. Yeah, and I, I, I couldn't agree more. I've been thinking about this the past couple of weeks as I've been reading through your chapbooks. And uh, first off, thank you for the chapbooks, because I, <laughs> I really have enjoyed reading through them. They are really cool there's some really different stuff wait what was the one that I, I pulled out another one here uh listen partisan was one that i really liked um i i had flagged a bunch of poems in there it's great um so thank you for that you've you've kept my my reading going the past couple of weeks which is fantastic um but i really do like chat books as well they were something that i engaged with early as a writer um kind of just putting together little suites of poems on my own for nobody um, and, and you come to realize that like, there's a reason I think we as writers and publishers or whatever split up full length books into sections so often is, yeah. uh, is that, that, that page count seems to be a nice, concise unit of language and, uh, enough space to tell a story without getting carried away. And I think there's something really powerful about that. Plus it's so fun to hold a small chat book and they come in so many different fun forms that like larger published you know, full-length collections are, there is some difference sometimes. You you look at some publishers that are doing like the handmade stuff and it's really fantastic, but a lot of them look pretty similar to each other and uh, you don't get that with chapbooks. There's a lot of disparity, so it's nice um, mm -hmm. that change. Um, have you have you wanted to write a full-length book? Have you ever worked on a full-length project? <laughs> well, funny enough, no. The, the short answer is no, but okay. uh, for a long time, I told myself that I wasn't even going to bother trying to attempt writing a full-length book until I had a poem in like one of the big six, maybe literary magazines in Canada. Um, mm. I I probably shouldn't go into naming or trying to name <laughs> what big six are, but you know, I, everyone has their own ideas of like the dream pubs. Um, yeah, so earlier, or not earlier this year, but last year, I finally had a poem in CV2, and that was like a dream publication for me. Uh, I, around the same time, I also had a poem in Vallum, and so those two kind of made me feel like uh, I had a little bit more legitimacy, and it also, you know, took away my excuse of never trying to write a full-length book until I had a, a big magazine publication. Uh, now I guess I have to actually put my money where my math is and start working on one. Yikes. 
<laughs> it's it's a little daunting. Look, I I've been trying to write, write a full length as listeners of this will know for like years now. It's at this point getting pathetic, but super <laughs> fun still to keep reimagining ideas and coming up with new stuff. Um, it is it is incredibly daunting, and I felt the same way uh, as you in that I kind of. Well, first off, when I started writing poetry, I was like, I won't call myself a poet until I publish something somewhere. Mm. Um, and it didn't, it could have been a student mag, and I think it probably was. But whatever first publication published me, um, they, they gave me the label of poet that I will now flaunt forever. Um, <laughs> but, I, but I do remember that being the case. And then you kind of like tell yourself, I won't start on this bigger project until I get that next step, um, which I guess is logical in a like career advancement sort of scenario but at the same time there's no reason not to try and write a larger project if you have a larger project on your hands which I guess brings me to my other question for you which is like you know you obviously write for for journals and you also write for chapbooks um what do you think is the difference I mean I know it's an individual poem or two for a journal but how do you know you have a chapbook on your hands yeah I I don't think of I, I I also going back to me neurotically preparing for this talk. I also listened to your conversation with Rob McLennan, um, and I think his question that he left for the guest, or he the question he asked your next guest was something about like if uh, they composed poet uh, poet poems by like the unit of the poem or the unit of the you know long poem or the unit of a book or whatever he it, rob's been interested in that idea for a long time anyway so maybe i'm getting that yeah. wrong uh, or i'm certainly getting how he phrased it wrong just now but anyway i always look at poems or so far in my career my writing journey i guess uh, i've been writing poems as just poems, usually one pagers, very rarely going over into like a second page in the word doc. Um, I like minimalist stuff, but also I like prose poems and I can't imagine someone writing like a multi-page prose poem that that would be intense. I, I think Jason <laughs> Burial does that, but anyway. Uh, so I maybe it's uh, about attention span for me as well. There's something about sitting down and being able to write a rough draft of a poem in a couple of minutes or an hour uh, or an afternoon. And that being like a fairly succinct expression of a moment in time, perhaps. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think like this is, this is also something that I, am possibly infamous for is my short attention span. And I, uh, I, this is what draws me to poetry is that I can't sit down and read a whole novel. I, I don't know that anybody's reading. Well, there are probably people reading them in one sitting, but uh, to me, that's unimaginable. I, I just don't have that attention. So mm -hmm. I come to poems for that. Um, and I come to chapbooks, especially for that, because it seems to be like a chapbook length is like the perfect amount for me to read in a sitting. So I just, I love that sort of thing. Um, it's fantastic. Um, okay, I have a question for you, Chris, from my last episode's guest. Um, okay. This is this is unrelated to what we've been talking about, but perhaps it will launch us into a new little discussion here. So last time out, I talked to Chris Banks, a uh, fantastic Canadian poet, published, I think mm. it was his seventh book that we were talking about, uh, which is crazy. Um, but yeah. he is wondering, what is authentic in modern Canadian poetry? This is a really difficult question. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm thanks, Chris, for that, and also double Chris's back to back, Chris's. Um, I know we're going back to back with the Chris. <laughs> <laughs> there could be probably an entire podcast about talking to poets named Chris. Um, but <laughs> getting away, I'm just trying to avoid answering Chris's question now. <laughs> uh, authenticity in poetry, I think, has a lot to do with intention maybe um i don't know maybe i'm overthinking this but i'm trying to give space to people who write poems from a persona or write poems from a different vantage point than their own whether it's like an object or um i don't know a set of laws or something 
Um, and, you know, stuff like that can be just as authentic as like someone writing their personal history or their story, I think. Um, and that's now I'm losing the thread. <laughs> I don't, this is a tough okay. one. It's, it's an incredibly difficult question. Chris left us with a lot to talk about here um, or to, or to not talk about and move on from, but I, I will chime in and say quickly that like, yeah, I think, I think you're honest something there. There's, there's something to be said for people who write for um, different personas and ideally they're doing their research and, you know, all of that stuff. But I think the authenticity is like, this is, this is kind of up my alley. I wrote a whole master's thesis on this sort of thing, but like the idea of, the Canadian poem, I, I think, is very flawed and uh, potentially impossible um, in the sense that nobody in our country seems to be linked by everything, certainly not most things. Um, yeah. And everybody's idea of a lived experience of being Canadian is different. Everybody's lived experience in such a vastly, like a massive country is literally geographically so diverse um so it's really hard to to say that anything's really uniform it's really hard but the authentic part i think comes from writing what you know and uh and that's the basic you know advice that i think a lot of people get in the writing seminars i never went to um (laughs) which is that you're supposed to write what you know um i never did that so maybe that's why i don't sometimes um but yeah, it's, it's fascinating to think about. And obviously, uh, for those who don't know, I will have read your bio before this interview starts, Chris, but um, Chris is also managing editor at Arc Poetry Magazine. Um, fantastic publication, really cool team, um, really cool writing coming out of there. And uh, so you, you play a role too, not just in writing and uh, hopefully authentic Canadian voice, but also in publishing them. Um which is something I wanted to talk to you about. How how has it been being a managing editor? How's how's that been so far? And uh, what drew you to that position? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll answer the second part of that question first and then yeah. <laughs> kind of hopefully briefly give a, a history of how I got to where I am. Because um, I started out, or I really fell in love with publishing in university. Uh, I went to Carleton uh, in Ottawa here, and there was a student-run literary magazine and a small press publisher on campus called Inwards that had been around since 2001. Uh, And it's turned out like a ton of amazing poets. So I stumbled upon one of their events uh, when I was in my second or third year, um, where they were hosting a bunch of writing workshops. And and I thought the idea of, you know, these people who are publishing each other and making chapbooks in a little magazine, I thought they were all so cool. And then, you know, it t- just turned out that they were like Cameron Anstey and Ben Laudusser and um, a bunch of really amazing poets in, in Ottawa. Uh, who've gone on to do great things like um, Bardi Asane was the person who handed the ropes of this, uh, uh, of Inwards over to me. He was the editor of like the 11th issue. And then I took over in 12 uh, with, with two friends of mine. So yeah, I thought that was a a really cool experience, uh, a a cool thing that was happening. Um, And I got to like, work with amazing poets and people who were writing stuff that I could never imagine writing. Like I, I had a hand in publishing Selena Bones first chapbook, which was super cool. Uh, and Brandon Wentz first chapbook, although he had already done a ton of amazing stuff with his uh, spoken word poetry. Um, and I loved the experience of being able to publish people. So I was really lucky that, you know, for for lots of reasons, I'm really lucky to have all the privileges that I have being, you know, a white man in in a pretty white city. Uh, I feel like it's got a little bit more diverse, but um, I, it was certainly when I started, there was a lot, it was a lot of white people in, in the Ottawa poetry scene. Right. Uh, not, by, <laughs> not by their own fault, but anyway, um, 
So I think that gave me quite a few advantages of being able to fit in and being welcomed. And it's a super welcoming scene too. Like uh, I, I like to think that it's always super welcoming to whoever. Um, but yeah, I was lucky because uh, as I was graduating, uh, my master's degree at Carleton, ARC was looking for uh, the coordinating editor at that time. And it like lined up perfectly with when my master's degree was ending. So I applied and I already like knew a bunch of the people on the board from going up to literary events and from working on inwards and publishing some of them. So that kind of sealed the deal, I guess, and got me into working with ARC. And uh, since then, uh, that was around 2014. So next year, I guess, will be 10 years of working with ARC. Jeez. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, but at, at that time, Monty Reed was the managing editor, and he stepped down at the beginning of 2018. So I moved into the managing editor role. Uh, and that was probably a long history of how I got to where I am now <laughs> that you didn't really need to hear. But um, but it's it's amazing to work in magazine publishing because it's so unique, I think, uh, and also integral in a lot of ways to the entire mm. publishing um, landscape in Canada, I guess. No, totally. I actually just before we started recording, I was scrolling through. I don't remember if it was Facebook or Instagram, one of the two, I was scrolling through something and I saw um, my friend and, and past guest of the show, Kevin Spence posted that a local bookshop was selling a bunch of old poetry journals. Uh, and I thought to myself, I got to get down there and check that out yeah. because they're blowing these things off and uh, they are fantastic sources for people like myself with a short attention span that I mentioned earlier, because, uh, you know, you've got two pages maybe with a poet and then the next one's up and then the next one's up and so on. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So maybe this is a new thing that I need to get more into because currently, <laughs> admittedly, I'm not a big journal reader. Um, and of course, this is the issue, and I, I am a big part of it, uh, that that people are sending their work in and not actually reading and supporting these journals. If you're listening to this and you're looking for a journal to support, I'll say it so he doesn't have to. Chris's arc is fantastic, and you should check it out. Um, but there are a bunch of them out there, and I need to get more involved with it. Um, but you, you mentioned, like, this is a huge part of the writing landscape in Canada, the fact that we have these journals to submit our work to that share our work that get the word out there um and i i've often thought about starting something of a publishing project um mm. that has never come to be because i don't know where in my calendar i would fit anything else but um <laughs> that's, that's just, funny because i've always thought yeah. of starting a podcast project and never known where i would fit that into my calendar so we're doing like the opposite you're doing the podcast i'm doing the <laughs> magazine i guess yeah we gotta we gotta do a little life swap for like a week or something and you can just interview <laughs> poets and i'll i'll publish them um oh, but yeah the, the reason i've thought so much about it is that obviously publishers have played a big role for me as a writer and I think it's so easy to get into a pattern like the one that I am admittedly currently in where you're not publishing and then slowly the writing slows down and mm. then suddenly you're not writing as much as you'd like to be. Um, that's, that's where I'm at right now. But when you get a publication or you get anybody who encourages you to keep writing, sometimes it's all it takes for me. Definitely. It's all it takes. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Do you get into these funks, these writing funks like I do? For sure. I'm in one too, actually, right now. How fantastic. Uh, I mean, not fantastic, but yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, no, it's, really, it's really hard. Yeah, and I, I feel your pain about it. Like, no matter how much you say to yourself, man, I really wish I could get back into writing. It's not always that easy, you know? Um, yeah, what, what do you do? Have, if you've been in this position before and gotten out of it, what's worked for you in the past? Um. I yeah, trying to read more, like making a concerted effort to reading, whether it's literary magazines like ARC, wink wink, or <laughs> uh, or any other literary magazines or books or whatever. Um, yeah. I think there's also something to be said for writing every day, uh, and 
not like trying to take the pressure off by not having to write something that's like good or that you know you'll be like keeping but even if it's just journaling or you know what I like to do a lot which is essentially journaling but putting in line breaks and pretending like I just wrote a poem <laughs> um so something that I I do uh I, I can't take any credit really for coming up with this but a friend of mine Ashley Hine challenged me shortly after we met uh one of the things that we became friends over was the uh, fact that we weren't writing at that time and she challenged me to write a poem a day for uh, the month of April and the we did this for the first time in 2019 and we've done it every year since then uh wow. and we'll like have like a shared google uh, uh folder and put a poem in every day and if we don't see a poem by the other person and we'll kind of like hold them accountable. There was a year that we had to write a, 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 if we missed a day, we had to write a poem to make up for that day that we missed plus another punishment poem. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> and it was, it was nuts. I, I don't know how we got through it. We got angry at each other and she wrote a bunch of uh, limericks to, you know, express her anger at me. But um <laughs> Yeah, I think something like just the idea of that, it doesn't matter what month it is, but the idea of telling yourself, I'm going to write a poem every day for however long, or or I guess even like, I'm going to write a poem every week could work. But like giving yourself that sort of deadline and taking the pressure off of making it something that you think will be good and, uh, and publishable even, like just doing it for the sake of doing it. Uh, there's something to be said about that for pulling yourself out of a funk, I think. Totally, totally. Maybe, I don't know if I've ever done the like semi-religious, gotta sit down and write at the same time every day. I don't know if that's for me, but writing a poem a day or writing something every day might be an attainable place to start. So maybe that's what I got to try. Maybe I'll give it a go. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it doesn't have to be at the same time for sure. Like, what in April I'll be writing a poem like first thing in the morning sometimes or I'll see that the clock is like 11.59 and I have to nail like (laughs) bang out a poem in a minute or less and that's how I'll do a poem for that day but um yeah with the way most people's schedules are and lives are everyone has to approach it differently you know totally totally um okay we're we're about halfway through here chris i'm wondering if i could get you to read another piece for us right for sure i was thinking i would read a poem that takes inspiration and uh, it's epigraph from adele barclay's poem uh, of the same title from her book if i were in a cage i'd reach out for you um The title is When Does the Hunger Begin? And the epigraph I took from Adele's poem is Nightmares in a mirror above a waterbed. I say your name three times and your brother appears. So this is When Does the Hunger Begin? It's 20 lines, counting blank lines. The last days of February were honeyed, snowy and enlightened by whiskey and weed. We have cold slush seeping into pages and blundstones as we drag around this phantom limb, Bedouin tones. Gusts of memories chill. I have imagined my death while imagining other deaths. Valleys only look peaceful when viewed from above. Count on this misplacement to find yourself. Have you awoken to the sound of your own screaming? I daydreamed your name, grieved for your sister. At my cousin's wedding, an uncle smoked a Cuban cigar. The BC air was so fresh, mornings kept asking for more. If I am underwater, I will hold my breath and count the bubbles that leave for the surface. Cool, this was another one that I had dog-eared in the in the copy you sent me so i'm glad you read that one for us um yeah i'm super excited to talk about this so before you started your reading you uh mentioned the line count on this poem and of course counting the lines is important to this little chapbook and uh so i want to ask where this came from 
what's going on? Why are we counting the lines? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it started as a joke on Twitter back when it was called Twitter that I made. Um, and then Kirby said something about uh, titling chapbooks are overrated and posted pictures to like T.S. Eliot's, you know, 13 poems or 18 poems or mm. some, one of those old books of you, you can just picture the leather bound cover and like the big font that says some number of poems and a smaller font that says the name of the poet. Right. <laughs> So I guess I kind of just ran with that idea uh, for the title of this chapbook. Plus, I also I'm kind of thinking of this chapbook as like my greatest hits chapbook because it's like okay. just a bunch of poems that have been published in places uh, pulled together for, you know, one album uh, of mostly hits, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. My my first chapbook, I did the same thing. I didn't really have a theme to it and i just chucked in all my what i thought were my best poems at the time um yeah. and honestly I, I look back and i'm like wow those were strong and they kind of worked together and it was nice um oh, it, yeah, it's fun totally to like i thought yeah. that topic was intentional you're talking about do not discard ashes right yes yeah yeah i thought that was like such a cohesive examination of like your past and childhood and some other memories in there and stuff i thought i didn't know that it was like just a cobbled together thing yeah well that's very nice of you to say because it, it truly was uh like i had been trying to write a chapbook for the longest time as i am mm. trying to write a full length right now i was it was about this stage that i'm at with the full length when the chapbook <laughs> got picked up for publication where I was like, man, maybe I just got to give up on this or I'm really getting tired of working on the same project with nobody seeing it. Um, but yeah, it, it came to a point where I was like, okay, I'm going to stop trying to write two specific themes and just write my best poems. And I think for me, my best poems too have always been considering childhood and uh, a lot of the themes that come up in that chapbook. So that, that kind of brought it together. But um, I love a I love a greatest hits collection, as you put it. I, I think that's so fun. And um, what's what's great about you know, let's say a T.S. Eliot book that says eighteen poems by T.S. Eliot. Um, mm -hmm. And what's great about three hundred and twenty lines of poetry counting blank lines, is the cover is truly as close to telling you what the book is going to be as it gets. Um, like, you know, you know, the, you can't judge a book by its cover. Um, yeah. you certainly can't judge this book by its cover, but you got a good idea of what you're in for at the very yeah. least your, your length requirement is settled. So it's kind of nice. So, uh, but, but you know, it down to the line for all of the poems, it seems that like the count. Yeah. Yeah. The, there's another poem in the chat book, uh, that's called 28 lines on love. Uh, right. And I, I'd written that uh, poem before I'd come up with the title of this chapbook. Um, and uh, I think it was Manahil, uh, Manahil Bandakwala, who I'd sent the the manuscript to um, before I was even sure it could work as like a chapbook manuscript. And maybe she also came up, maybe, I, maybe she's going to be super angry with me if she actually was going <laughs> to suggest the title of this chapbook. But um, yeah, I'd sent it to her and she said, these all actually kind of work together and, uh, and probably suggested the title because of the poem 28 Lines on Love, maybe. She thought, if I'm remembering correctly, she probably thought that it was funny to um, go that granular and name it after the specific number of lines of the entire chapbook. So yeah. Uh, and yeah. Okay. Just, so you, you, I love it. I love it. Um, you mentioned to Manah Hill who has been on this show before. Hi Manah Hill, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> I, I mentioned her again because you also have a poem that mentions her in the chat book. And mm -hmm. um, I wanted to talk not specifically about Manah Hill, although we could, and this could oh, become okay. a very, very weird listen for her. Um, but what I think we should probably do instead is talk about the element of community, because I feel like this is huge for for your writing and your practice, from what I can tell. Um, now, I live in Vancouver or like near Vancouver, and 
from my perspective, looking in from the outside, the Ottawa poetry community seems pretty tight. Like, it seems like you guys know each other and there's a lot of like connection and really, really positive sense of community going on there. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that's not the case in Vancouver. I'm just saying that it seems really cool. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I am to an extent jealous because I attempt to get involved in community when I can, but often, you know, things come up and so on. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I wanted to ask you about community because this is also something that your work at ARC does is bring people's writing together who otherwise might not be, you know, mm-hmm. sharing pages with each other. So mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit about community. What, what does that mean to your work? Oh, yeah. Look, community building is super important to me. Um, I don't know if I could call myself a community builder, but uh, th- that abstract term uh, is something that I admire or that quality is something that I really admire in, in a lot of people. And, you know, I don't want to, j- just so we don't sell Vancouver poetry community short by any means, like um, I think Mallory Tater and Curtis LeBlanc's uh, Rahila's Ghost Press was such a cool endeavor. I was really sad to see it go. Yeah. Um, but it seemed like they were really working on building a great community out of that. And they probably still are. It seems like there's quite a good community, uh, including those two and, and poets around them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, the Ottawa poetry community is pretty tight. Uh, you know, not, not across the board. There's probably some members who are on the outside that think that the rest of us are stuck up and snooty. But um there, there is a, a big community that's very welcome it, welcoming. Sorry, if um, if you're really interested in getting involved, uh, and and yeah, we, I guess everyone like is just so willing and eager to like support each other because we aren't as big as you know Montreal or Toronto, um, and we're smack dab in between the two of them, and. Uh, and yet we have like this output of poets that I think punches really above its weight. And we love to celebrate each other because of the, the perceived shadow, if not an actual shadow of being between like the two biggest cultural hubs in, uh, uh, from Toronto and Montreal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's something about community that is, and, uh, and like I was saying at the beginning, uh, I was really inspired by what I saw coming out of Inwards uh, before I started working there and what I hope to, I, I was able to continue through the, my time there. Um, people like supporting each other, reading each other's work, publishing each other, um, like not just blindly being a champion of anyone or uh, or everyone's work, but also being critical and pushing everyone to grow there yeah there's so much about like having a a network however you find it uh, whether it's publishing a magazine and putting voices next to each other that you think speak to each other or i guess hosting a podcast and having guests that you you think (laughs) uh work well together or let me ask you that actually do you ever think about like the bigger legacy of what page fright has done and and like the history of guests that you've had on here and how they like speak to each other or is um, that kind of an afterthought <laughs> it's definitely an afterthought but it's not something i haven't thought about um I think, I think the big thing for me is like, I've said it on the show before, like, I feel like this has been my selfish way of getting a free MFA. Um, in that I get to, you know, read a book by somebody that I like, and then ask them how they wrote it. And there's nothing cooler than that. So that's what keeps me doing it. But there's, there's also a sense of like, yeah, when I look at the names of the people that I've been able to talk to, and the books that I've been able to ask about, um, I feel incredibly privileged and excited to have that opportunity to to be able to be like hey here's a book i liked and now be able to for the most part get in touch with whoever i want to talk to and talk to them is very very cool um but yeah the the other thing that comes from the show is the fact that you know i ask people like yourself for questions for the next episode's guest which by the way we got to do in a second here chris but um 
I I think that conversational aspect maybe helps to put people in community in a, some small way. Um, it honestly wasn't even the intention to do that when I started the show. It was more just like podcasts have fun bits. What's a fun bit I can do? And I <laughs> <laughs> thought this would be a fun bit. So that's where that came from. But uh, yeah, it's it's very cool to look now at the long list of people that I've talked to um, and just be like, wow, I talk to you know this person for an hour I never thought I'd talk to them when I was reading their book in my undergrad or whatever um it's really cool and even now when I talk to people on the show um even if it's people who I've known you know tangentially for a while like yourself um and then I read your work and I'm blown away and I'm like oh my god I'm I still feel a little bit nervous a little bit starstruck talking to them um (laughs) just because it's like you know when you when you like a book or when you like writing it can it can be really impactful, especially if you are doing your own writing. Um, so it's kind of crazy. It's kind of crazy to be able to talk to people like this. I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, and you have put people in conversation through the through the fun bit of making them ask each other questions. It's, it's really it's neat. true. I don't I don't know that. Uh, I think a lot of people will not listen to the show and then come on the show and be like, oh, I have to come up with a question. Right. Uh, and honestly, it just makes it more fun uh, to have it sprung on people sometimes. So if you're listening to this and you're ever on the show, come come ready to go with a question or don't. It doesn't matter. It's a lot of fun to uh, <laughs> to spring it on you. And Chris, I'm going to spring it on you now. Uh, let's, mm-hmm. let's ask you for a question that I can ask the next episode's guest. Okay. Um, I knew this was coming, and yet I'm still not prepared. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go with, uh, okay, I've got a question um, because I like to, whenever I'm doing readings uh, of my poems, uh, which Mm -hmm. to be fair isn't often, but uh, I always like to bring in someone else's poem to read during my set. And I guess my question for your next guest is, what do you think about reading someone else's poem in a public forum okay uh obviously i know your answer to this because you kind of just told us but i want to ask a bit more about this because why what what made you start doing this what what brought you into is this like a conversational thing in terms of like i want my work to be in conversation with so and so or to show the impact like like i i can see this working in a lot of ways i'm kind of fascinated tell me a bit more about this Mm -hmm. i think it, it it has to work in multiple ways because the part of it is that I'm always, uh, I, I don't think I'm very smart. And so whenever I'm writing a poem that is riffing off of or uh, explicitly stealing from another poem, I don't think that I'm good enough to be able to hide that fact. So I like to bring those poems to the forefront and say, like, here's my response to, you know, someone so-and-so's poem um mm-hmm. andrew french's poem per se perhaps uh and uh here's what i was taking from it uh i like to make sure that that's like up front and center so no one can turn around maybe it's, it's so no one can turn around and be like hey you're just stealing from everywhere else uh, or everyone <laughs> else yeah but no, i think I, I really like it i like the idea of being able to be in conversation with other people and to almost cite your sources. I don't know. That's great. Yeah. yeah, that's definitely a huge part of it. And then I think the other part of it is uh, specifically specifically reading other people's poems if I or whenever I have a chance to read in public. I think it also has the little bit of uh, a purpose of perhaps like a, expanding someone's, like what you're doing here, expanding the... Um, uh, audience of a certain poet or poem uh you're or or whenever i do it i'm saying like here's something you might not have heard before and i can pull out like some really weird sound poetry or uh i can read something by i've read a few times um and one of my favorite poets is aisha sasha john so i love to read her poems uh if i can get a chance so stuff like that, um, like it's definitely showing, uh, yeah, showing my influences, but it's also like saying, 
hear something that is different than my voice. And it, I think it's worth hearing, even if it has to come out of this vessel of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, this actually brings me to another question that I'm curious about now. Um, it's a very, this is the most basic, I'm starting a podcast about books question, but Chris, who are you reading right now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, I'm terrible at finishing books. So if you're asking me like who I'm reading right now, uh, I have been like, uh, 10 or 20 pages from finishing, uh, Hannah Green's Xanax Cowboy, uh, which just got shortlisted for the Governor General's Award. So I really need to finish yes. reading those last 10 or 20 pages I've got. Um, what else am I reading? Uh, a Friend Lent Me Superfan by Jen Sukfong Lee, like in oh, cool. February. And I haven't finished reading that. And I probably have to return it to my friend at some point. So um, I'll leave it there. Those, there are two things that I'm currently reading uh, very, very, very slowly. There you go. I love it. Yeah, it's always fun to, to hear what other people are reading. And um, this came up for me because obviously you were talking about inserting other people's poems into your readings, which I think is a really cool idea because it, it's also it's great to have your personal preferences and we all need to and do as writers. But often, you know, I might like a poem that you don't or there might be poems where we do connect on the same level and say, no, this is a great poem because of this. Um, and it's always nice to know what people whose work you admire think of other people's work too, not just what they're doing in their own. Um, mm -hmm. Even though you can kind of get a little bit of that from reading it. Um, I don't know. I always find that fascinating to, to hear and talk about. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think so as well. Um, I, I don't know what else to say, but I agree. <laughs> okay, perfect. Fantastic. Great. We're on the same page. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't really have any other questions here, but um, I wanted to say thank you again for the chat books and for coming on to talk because I've really, really, really admired the work you're doing as an editor and publisher uh, over at ARC. I think it's so valuable. The people who are involved in journals have so much respect for me. I genuinely wish I had the time and space to do it. Um, and I'll leave it at that. But it's just, it's so cool to be able to chat with you and uh, to read all of your work, to read so many pieces of your work. I feel so, so privileged to have gotten uh, such an exciting piece in the mail. Um, so thank you for that. And thank you for chatting with me today. Um, I guess the last thing I need is, is one more reading from you. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for saying all that. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoy those um, chat books. And I've really enjoyed talking with you as well, uh, Andrew. I've been a big fan, long time, first time uh, <laughs> fan of the pod. So I'm really glad that you had me on here. Um, uh, okay, so last poem, right. Uh, I guess I'll read... Should I read the, the first poem uh, that sure. mentions Nahil to make her we feel weird, or should I read 28 Lines on Love? Uh, ooh, that's a tough question. Okay, hold on. I'm flipping between the two. Um, you know what? I'm going to have to title the episode Manahil Bandukwala with Chris Johnson if you read this poem about Manahil or with Manahil in it. So I don't think we can do that. I think let's let's go with 28 Lines on Love. <laughs> I would love for the, the title of this podcast to be <laughs> with Chris Johnson with some Chris Johnson okay <laughs> but yeah we'll leave that maybe next time this is 28 lines on love after all my friends are finding new beliefs by Christian Wyman all my friends are finding small reasons for joy one celebrates a river receiving personhood, characteristic to only her, another finds a perfect love poem. There may only be perfect love poems, I tell myself. Or, no, I might only be able to see perfection in love. Twenty years ago, I meant something different than I do now when I uttered, I love you. My words would hit the air like a creaky swing in a dark, abandoned park, empty, hollow. How much has changed? I carry more days on my face, 
Love out of my lips now can swing fake to earnest. At least I try it more often. I say I love you to friends and hope it lightens their mood, if only momentarily. I whisper it at the ends of phone calls to my family in place of endless thanks for the love they spent raising me, in place of admiration that their love breathes life into the days of solitude away from home. On my beloved, the word just tumbles out. Morning coffee refills illicit love instinctually. 20-minute hugs make it hard to deny more love. All my friends are finding small reasons for joy, and I'm holding on to love for happiness, for motivation to breathe each new day, and for peace with my shortcomings. This planet keeps turning, and words take new meaning, and joy makes place for sorrow, and parks fill and vacate, and love poetry brings tears to silent lovers, and to my friends, my beautiful, perfect friends. Wow, 28 Lines on Love is the poem. The chapbook is, of course, 320 lines of poetry counting blank lines. Chris, thank you so much for chatting with me today. I'm sincerely hoping, listeners, that you'll go and check this chapbook out. It's out now with Anne Struther. And I don't know if this episode will be out in time, but Chris, I think you have a launch coming up. Is that right? Yeah, in two days, I'll be reading these poems days. again. Okay, so yeah. this, this will not be out in two days, but I wanted to say good luck with the launch. I hope it goes well. well thank you so <laughs> okay. much. Uh, I enjoyed this. I'm really grateful to be on here with you. And I'm thankful for your time and attention, Andrew. It's been a lot of fun. So there you have it. That was me chatting with Chris Johnson. Chris, thank you again for your time and patience. So nice to chat with you about poetry, editing, community, everything that we got to talk about in this episode. I really, really appreciate your time. And um, I've been thinking about this chat a lot, not just because I've had the time to think about it, but because it, it was a really um, impactful chat for me as I was kind of returning to writing, getting back into things. And um, Chris was a really generous guest to have. So Chris, thank you again. Um, I don't have a ton of housekeeping to do for you. I've got the next month's episode already recorded, but of course, that doesn't mean it's coming out anytime soon with my editing skills and schedule. Um, so thank you again for your patience. Um, we will see you in December with a really good episode, one that I'm really excited to share with you. Not to build too much hype, but I'm going to build some hype because I really enjoyed talking to the next guest, and I know that the next episode is really good, so I'm excited to share it with you. Uh, but until then, my name is Andrew French. I'm on Instagram at Andrew W. French, and this, this has been Page Freddy.